Well, you heard the song earlier. Uh, the worship team was singing the goodness of God. And it says, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Kim Gillum did a great job. Bless and he's talking about kindness. Goodness is kindness in action. It's amazing how this list of words, these nine words, were ordered. Not only are they great, uh, just a powerful set of nine words, but the order in which they're given, it makes such great sense. And so, in fact, uh, some theologians, I know I've told you this different times in the series and will continue to, have kind of split the nine words into three phrases, three themes, and and this is exactly how they appear in your Bible in this order, love, joy, and peace. Inner attitudes anchored in God. When we love, when we have joy, when we have peace, these are, these are inner things that God, these are gifts that God is giving us on the inside, and it's our inner attitudes that shape everything else. Then patience, kindness, and goodness, these are relational qualities that, express, that we use to express to others. So we want to be patient with each other. We want to be kind to all people. We want to have the goodness of God in us because that makes us so much better as a friend or a husband or a mom or a dad or a wife. It, it just, the goodness of God at work in our lives, it changes all relationships for the better. And then we have the, the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are personal qualities that we all pray that we can do well. These are personal qualities that guide the conduct that we de- demonstrate and how we deal with each other, how we deal with people. But these are the personal uh, conduct qualities. Now, with that said, uh, we're in Galatians 5 for this uh, series on the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit is uniquely part of the blessing and the gifts we receive when we ask Jesus Christ to take control of this life. We invite him in. We invite him in to guide us, to love us, to forgive us, to empower us, to be everything he had in mind for us to be when we were made. And with that invitation comes so many benefits, so many things, so many gifts that we can't even fathom. And most of those things we won't learn just by necessarily reading about them. Much of those things we will learn as we live life. We'll find God showing up in some amazing places where we didn't expect to find him. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. So what's interesting now, I'm not talking about being a good person. We're talking about the goodness of God and how he puts his goodness in us. You can be a good person, but the only person who's filled with and surrounded by the goodness of God is one whose life is in the hands of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people who would say they're, they're a good person. I hear that quite a bit. You know, I'm a good person. Why am I having this trouble? Or I, I know, you know, I may not go to church, but I'm a good person. And that's fine. I'm, I know a lot of people who, they're good people. I don't know, many of these people around me, some of my friends, or even, but uh, more or less people that I might have not met before. And some might know you're a pastor. Well, I'm, I'm a good person, they'll say. And I, I'm not there to say, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Uh, and, and they probably are. You can be a good person, but you don't have to be a follower of Christ. 
to be a good person. You can, if you've got discipline, I guess we could all be good enough most days to function in this world. But we're not talking about being good or being good enough. We're talking about the spiritual fruit of the goodness of God that he was kind enough to give to us, to offer to us. Now, with that said, Luke 7, verse 37, Jesus allows a sinful woman to pour expensive perfume on his feet. You've all probably heard that story. I mean, you could be walking by a Sunday school class and hear this story. It's a great story. If you grew up in church, you've heard it all your life. Like I have, I remember pictures and I remember slides. I remember flannel boards. Some of you have no clue what that is. And just ask anybody around you that's as old or older than me. They'll tell you what a flannel board is. So Jesus knew this woman's life story. She's now coming, she is kind of invaded, uninvited to this dinner party, a dinner gathering with some very prestigious religious people. Jesus is sitting there. Jesus knew her life story. Nobody else at the table did. And, you know, she began pouring out expensive perfume on his feet. And, of course, the religious folks were pretty snooty about it and said, who's this woman thinks she is? First of all, she shouldn't be doing this. She's not invited here. She's not welcome here. And by the way, she's not worthy to be here if you knew what kind of woman she really was. That reminds me way too much of people that got to church for the first time maybe and kind of got that message. And so many people still get that message. So you got to focus on Jesus in this one. But see, Jesus, he knew her story. He knew things about her that were far better than even what some of those others at the table would have imagined. It was his goodness, Jesus's goodness, the goodness of God. He saw her motive. He knew her sense of unworthiness. He noticed the disgust of the Pharisees, the religious folks sitting at the table, that Jesus would allow such a terrible sinner to even approach the table let alone touch him. See, the goodness of God sees the motive. The goodness of God sees the heart. And a very different example of his goodness doesn't look anything like goodness these days. Here's this example, kind of a completely different. In Matthew 21, Jesus arrives at the temple and becomes angry. He saw people being charged exorbitant money to buy the necessary sacrifice that would be required uh, in the temple worship. We celebrated communion in all our service and all our rooms today. And it'd be like when you got here, the only way you were going to be able to have communion is to purchase some bread and juice out in the lobbies of our churches. And let's say that it was just outrageously expensive for a little cube of bread. You were, you were going to be charged for buying the entire loaf of sourdough but you're only gonna get this much. And people would catch on to that pretty quick. I can buy my own bread and get a piece and or I can make my own bread be even better. So this is kind of what's going on in this scenario. They're selling things that people need to have to get into the church, and they're, but they're charging exorbitant prices and Jesus sees it. And because of his goodness, he goes into a tirade and starts flipping these tables over because he did not like what was happening, because it shouldn't be happening, in a, and basically at the doors of the church. He had this righteous rage, turning over the tables, money flying everywhere, as well as birds that he 
boldly proclaimed, he said this, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. That is an example of goodness. Because Jesus is doing the right thing. It was not a pleasant, smile-filled moment, but it was the exactly right, godly thing to do. Goodness is doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time. So even when it was Jesus showing compassion on a sinful woman, he saw in her something no one else could see. And even when he saw people doing things at the temple that should never be done in the church foyer, making money on people for something they really needed to be able to go into the church to begin with, there was a very different emotional reaction, but both were examples of his goodness. Let's look at some definitions. Goodness is the disposition and character of a person who is benevolent, full of goodwill and charity towards others. That's goodness, kind of a dictionary definition. It's a disposition that some may have, or character traits some may have, and they're benevolent or they're full of goodwill and kindness toward others. Uh, Another definition, if you looked it up, a deliberate preference of right over wrong. A deliberate resistance to all moral evil, choosing and following all moral good. But when you look at the biblical definition, which would come out of the Greek New Testament, it has the specific meaning of being energized to act in a benevolent way on behalf of others. Okay, that's, that's what goodness is in, in, from the Greek, diction, uh, the Greek New Testament. The specific meaning of being energized, eager, excited to act on behalf of another in a benevolent way. That's goodness. Letting God put his fruit of goodness in you, to me, becomes vitally important in all aspects of life. So what does goodness then look like? If you were to ask, if we're asking ourselves, doing a bit of an inventory as as you're sitting there, and I was doing this as I read through all this and prepare all this, I put myself through these same things. What, what, would it, what would it look like if my life, if I'm able to say, I believe I have the fruit of God's goodness? I believe that, but it was good to remember that what it really means is it's a, it's a sign of integrity. If you're a person that you say, I, I am filled with the fruit of God's goodness, then it means you're the same in every situation. That you're the same when we see you in church, and you're the same when we see you at the restaurant or in Lowe's or wherever you are. You're the same. That's integrity. That we don't walk into the church and say, I better act a certain way if I want to be viewed by others as good, a good person. And you can be a good person. We can turn it on, we can turn it off. But we're not talking about being good. We're talking about the goodness of God. The goodness that is in him. The goodness that Jesus has as a gift to us if we would just receive that. And it's ours the moment we put Jesus into our life. We say, come in, I'm yours Give me whatever you've got to give me and take away everything that needs to go. You will experience God's goodness. You know, we use the terms uh, great and good, but there's this big difference between the two. Big, big difference. Uh, John Wesley would suggest that God is good, not only great. The gods of the ancient world were certainly great. You talk about great leaders in days gone by in biblical times all the way throughout history. 
They were great people. They, were, they had great power. Great gods, Roman gods, Canaanite gods, but they were not good. These were evil kings. They were in no way good, but they were great because they had great power, great prestige. Everybody knew they were. The God of the Bible is not only great, he is good. And this is what distinguishes the God of the Bible from all the other gods in the ancient world. Now, there, this is why we kind of have to split some hairs here because when I, I might ask a professor back in college, uh, how did I do on the test? You go, good. And I'm going to go, oh, no. I mean, he didn't say, oh, you did great. See what we do with these words? No, we, we, we don't want to be just good. We'd be great. And yet what God is showing us is there's a lot of power in this word good. Anybody can be called great. They're great this, a great doctor, a great president, this great lady, a great banker, a great employee, at, again, at Lowe's. I'm, I probably spend too much time there. But... Uh, <laughs> the person that sees you looking aimlessly lost, you know, and I don't know most of anything in that store when I'm trying to fix something, I shouldn't, it's just gonna cost more later, but I'm still gonna do it, I gotta try. So they look at me and they see me lost and they'll come over and they'll go, I bet you need some help finding something. And I think, man, you're great. I'm so glad you could tell that I'm just lost as I'll get out right now. That's a, that's a great moment, it's a great. But really I could as easily said, if not more so, you are such a good person. I guess you can be great because of what you do. But I'd rather be known, and I'm sure you would too, that others would say about you, you are so good through and through. That's, that's goodness. That's real, genuine goodness. Philip Keller wrote a book. It's about 40 years old, and I've had it a long time. Don't confuse him with Tim Keller, no relation. But this is Philip Keller, and he wrote a book 40-some years ago, The Gardener Looks at the Fruits of the Spirit. Listen to this. How often do we stand back in awe, overwhelmed, humbled, broken before God because of his goodness? How often do we deliberately, determinedly, decisively call on God to give his goodness to us? How many of us really long above everything else to be made good with the goodness of God? People will pray for love or joy or peace or patience or kindness, but seldom does one hear this heart-rending cry coming from the depths of a sin-shattered, sin-stained, sick soul crying out, oh God, I just want to be made good. And that is greater than anything we could ask or pray for. Integrity, purity, good people have their hearts in the right place. A good person, based on God's goodness now, this is based on the spirit of Christ at work in you because of the fruit he's put in you. You are, you are known, it's purity, you're good people, you have your heart in the right place. You're very clear about who you are, who you're not, what you can do, what you can't do. No need to impress. No need to have somebody get people around you to think, know how, how important or how good you are. That's a sure sign that, it's not, that fruit is a little weak. It's getting maybe a little stale. I mean, do some work on it. Purity is good people have their hearts in the right place and then the way we act. This is how we kind of spot goodness in our own life. Are we the same in every situation? Is our heart at, in the... At, I'm not saying we gotta be perfect because we're not gonna be. All right? But is our heart in the right place? 
speaks to motives. We act. Good people are people who do good things. And we do good things because it's the right thing to do. That's why we do them. So you see why it starts making some sense. I would really rather do good things than be a great person. Now that's splitting hairs. Let's not get lost in definitions. They both kind of work. But what we're talking about is goodness. And goodness of God at work in our life through God's Son and through the Holy Spirit are people of integrity and purity. And they act in ways that are helpful and beneficial and reflect reflect the life of Christ inside them. Titus would say in the New Testament, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. Now let's stop right there. (laughs) Oh, I know you're thinking, here it comes. (laughs) Election, two days away. Had nothing to do with that. (laughs) Do you realize when this was written, their government makes ours look like kindergarten. Do you know the Roman Empire, all that went into that? You ought to read about it if you haven't, in the time of Christ. Oh, it makes our government look like Sunday school classes. And what is the Bible telling us? Remind believers to submit to the government and its officers. Now, it doesn't say we can't vote on which one we'd like to submit to. That's the freedom we have. In those days, they didn't have that freedom. There were no votes. Remind believers to submit to the government and its officers. It doesn't say if they're good people or bad people. There's certainly not much goodness there at that time, and we would probably say not much right now. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should always be obedient, always ready to do what is good. So let me ask you, in in this crazy moment in history in this country and in our world right now, what if we spend more time as believers praying, God, show us, show me, What can we do that would be good in this less than great moment? They must not slander anyone. They must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. We should always be obedient, ready to do what is good based on the goodness of God and the goodness fruit he has put in us. It's a very different approach, isn't it? It's interesting. Uh, Moses, the story of Moses, uh, it's a, as, you, as you most know the story, it, it's, it's a great story. There's, there's a year or two or three of sermons just in the story of Moses. But in Exodus 33, Moses asks God a gold question. It's just golden. And he says, please let me see your glorious presence. So I want to see your glorious presence. And the answer he gets from God, this is Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19. Here's what the Lord said back. God said back to Moses, I will make all of my goodness pass in front of you. So the Lord knew Moses. Moses had found favor with God, but Moses wasn't satisfied with their relationship. In other words, he wanted more. Though he'd experienced the a burning bush, the opening of the Red Sea waters, the water gushed from the rock. He'd eaten bread from heaven. And all, his, in him, that was all yesterday's news. Great, great experiences with God in the past. But he says, I want more. I want more. 
He wanted, as Tony Evans says this, he wanted a fresh, deeper knowledge of God. So Moses, like a hungry man who'd sat down to an elegant meal, he says, please teach me your ways that I may know you. And the problem for many of us is we're either not very hungry for the goodness of God or we're hungry for the wrong things that in fact do just the opposite and chip away at our opportunity of the goodness of this fruit that God wants to put in us. Moses would say, teach me your ways. I want to know you. And the problem is sometimes we don't act like we want to know much. We get enough of God. I remember a great poem that I used to quote. I don't, I don't have it in memory, but it was like, I, just want, I, don't, I don't want too much of God. I just want just enough to fit in a paper bag. And we all want just enough of God to keep him at bay. I don't want enough to cause me to change my thinking about somebody I don't like. You see, we're talking about the goodness of God and how often have we, not without realizing it, maybe it sometimes, and other times, very clear what we were doing, have we said, I don't want much of God, I just want enough of God to feel better. I just want enough of God to do this or to do that. I, because sometimes you'll hear with that paper sack of God that I've got control of in my hands because I want to be a, a good person. Now, a lot of us probably have been there at different times before we really had this great experience with God. But Moses wanted more. He says, Lord, let me see your glory. And the Lord graciously responded to Moses' request. He promised to show him his glory. God would let his goodness pass before Moses. He would let it pass. Moses couldn't see God's face because humans can't see God's face live. But Moses got his request answered he was given the chance to see God's goodness. Now, real quick, what is it that causes us to put God's goodness, this fruit of goodness within us that we have in Jesus, what causes this fruit to lay dormant, to not be, to get fully valued or fully appreciated or fully applied? What is it? A couple of things. I think of this, this uh, text where uh, Jesus is, is being tempted just before his ministry starts on, on, on the earth, he's getting ready now to go, go do what he'd come to do. He'd have a couple of years to do that before he would be crucified. So it says he was led into the wilderness, led into the desert. And if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. That's what Satan said to him. He said, look, Jesus, you know you can do this, so why don't you just do it? Nobody's gonna see it. You're starving. You've been under 40 days. There's nothing to eat within anywhere within miles. So just go ahead. You can do it. Can I be honest with you? I could go 40 hours without eating and be wanting to turn that stone into bread. If I could, there was many times I would have. 40 days. God in flesh who has everything at his disposal you're the son of God, change that stone into a loaf of bread. See, this is the temptation of power. 
This is the temptation for us when we just want to be important or prestige or wealth. This temptation to be important or, you know, when you get around people, I don't know about you, but I can get around people occasionally. I might not know them that well. I may be in a function in the community and someone is coming up and they, they want to just help me understand how important they are, how good they are, how, how powerful they are, you know. You get that occasionally. And, and there's one of these days I'm going to do this. It'll be my last invitation to any civic event. I just want to hug him. So let me hug you, honey. Clearly, your mama did not love you when you were a child because you are needy. You have got some real insecurities. Well, I, I mean, I, I hope I don't do that. My whole family would be embarrassed and it'd probably make the news. You know, it'd be interesting. Self-centeredness. When it becomes all about us. I want what I want, I need what I need, and that becomes, that becomes the goal. That becomes the focus. Self-centeredness is, is not good for the work of God in your life as he's gonna bring his goodness into you. Another one is power. Self-centered is power. Satan says to Jesus, I'll give you the glory of all these kingdoms. Just bow down and worship me. Everything is yours. Just worship me. Temptation to be popular, to be made. You know, this is when you make generous contributions and the greatest joy you get out of making sure everybody knows you did. I'll never forget, I was in a church once, quite a while ago. And when I walked in, it's, it's a fairly large church, but immediately I began to see little plaques everywhere. I mean, so-and-so donated this painting you walk into one room, so and so, little, little thing on the wall. These draperies were donated by, I mean, they are memorial. Somebody needed their name every time they did anything. It, it just, and it was everywhere on the pews. This pew was donated by sister and whatever, whatever. And I couldn't believe it. But the, the focus is clearly wrong here. Because number one, if people are going to require their name on it, but if they're going to make a contribution to the church, there's the problem right there. It starts right there. And sad to hear years later, church closed. Of course they did. It's awful when that happens. But see, everybody wanted to be known. I'll do something good, but I want a plaque. I want something engraved. I want people to know. That's what we're talking about here in this whole issue of power. The desire to be known and important. Wouldn't we all rather be known by the goodness of God that he's put in us, that we pray every day to help us pour that out on people around us that we love and people around us that we don't even know and people around us that are gonna be hard, frankly, to love. Self-centeredness, power, and of course, it goes along. They're all about the same image. Satan takes him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. Show the world right now the power you've got. Just jump off. And everybody's gonna be blown away because you're gonna make a perfect landing from this peak that's higher than we can imagine into the sky. And you're gonna jump off and you're gonna make a safe landing. And everybody's gonna, wow, he's powerful. He's God. You see, Goodness is something we do, but it must grow out of who we are in his name. Who are we in Christ? Have we really yielded all of ourselves to him? 
or if we give him a piece at a time, or have we laid the pieces out and said, no, I'm going to take this one back for this week. Goodness is something we do because of this fruit at work in our lives through Jesus Christ, but it's got to come out of who we are, at the core of who we are and who we worship and what we do and why we do it. See, the goodness of God within us will drive us to be more like him, to follow the example of Jesus in all things. In Psalm 23, we praise all the goodness of God. He's our shepherd. That phrase, his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So I come back to Philip Keller. The goodness of God is his generosity and graciousness and giving us himself by his own gracious spirit. It's the enormous energy of his light and the life extinguishing the evil in and around me. This goodness is the pulsing, powerful performance of right in the midst of wrong all around us. C.S. Lewis once said it well, give me all. Jesus says to us, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your words. I want you. And he says, I've not come to torment your natural self, but kill it. No half measures are any good. It's as if he says, I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree come down. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the desires you think wicked, the whole outfit, I will give you a new self, Jesus says. In fact, I will give you myself, he says. My own will shall become yours, and it will be good. And we will experience the Jesus idea of goodness. Let's stand together as we pray. I'm gonna invite our prayer teams to come to the front of the room. And uh, every week we do this, there'll be prayer teams, pastors here across the front. And if there's anything on your mind today, it may have something to do with the message and it may not. But please let us pray for you. No need to walk out here feeling alone or frightened or afraid. Let, let someone walk with you. Let someone pray over you, pray for you, pray with you, whatever. And I really encourage you, if you've been kind of given Jesus a half, half of a paper sack, is it time is it time for you to say, I'm going to give it all? I want to give him all of me because he knows what I'm capable of and I need him to bring it out of me. And if you want to make that decision, this is a good day to do it. You can make it right where you're standing. You can tell somebody, you can pray with somebody or you can call back later, but don't make some, some decision right now and then walk out here thinking you'll, you'll do something about it later. You may, you may not. It's not worth the risk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us and your goodness, your loving kindness to us. Father, we ask for forgiveness to so often underestimate this gift, the magnitude of this gift, the magnitude of what it brings into our lives, changes everything, our outlook, our motives, our desires, Father, thank you so much for being the goodness of God for us, the goodness at work within us through Christ.
We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.